When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's December 15th, 1840, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Well, hopefully when you heard the news of Napoleon's death in 1821, you didn't put your wreath order in at the florist right away because you wouldn't get a chance to lay it until this day, 19 years later, when Napoleon finally got given his state funeral in Paris. Yes, because he'd actually lain in an unmarked grave in the island of St. Helena for a good 19 years, basically because after he was finally defeated, there was this disagreement between the French and the British because the French wanted to inscribe Napoleon on his grave as the sort of his imperial name. But the British, who were kind of reluctant to give his empire any sense of legitimacy whatsoever, wanted to put his full name, Napoleon Bonaparte, on the grave. And because they couldn't agree to it, they just agreed to put a big sort of slab of stone down and that's where Napoleon was for those 19 years. Nonetheless he did manage to maintain a Napoleonic countenance uh, (laughs) through all those years which might be because he was inside a lot of caskets. Did you read how many? It's like past the parcel. It's ridiculous. So his, his body and some vases containing his heart and stomach which were taken out separately but buried alongside him were inside a tin casket which was soldered shut. Then the tin casket was placed inside a mahogany casket, which was screwed shut, which in turn was set inside a lead casket, which was soldered shut. And then the whole thing was put into a fourth casket, which was made of mahogany and sealed with silver-headed iron (laughs) screws. Like, they really didn't want anybody. It's St. Helena. There's no one there. They didn't want anybody to tamper with Napoleon. Um, But that did mean that when they did dig him up, his features, according to the official report, were so little changed that his face was recognised by those who had known him when he was alive. Yeah, and there was actually a bit of sort of camp hammer horror involved because when they opened the innermost (laughs) coffin, they feared the body had totally decomposed because they saw this, like, weird white mass inside. And it turned out that a piece of white from the inside of the coffin had fallen over the body and when they lifted it he was actually completely the same surprise one more coffin to go everyone (laughs) (laughs) well I I think actually that image of pulling him out of the ground and having him be pretty recognisably Napoleon maybe because he was dressed in his favourite colonel's regalia uh, probably the one we're almost familiar with the Napoleon outfit yeah the Napoleon very decent of him (laughs) weird wouldn't it to put Napoleon in his yellow (laughs) pyjamas but then they, they pulled him out and you could still see even his eyelashes and his hair had become more prominent. And the ship that was dispatched to bring the body back from St Helena, which obviously is a very remote island, had been decked out with a custom-made candlelit chapel that was decorated with Napoleon's bee emblem and a beer, B-I-E-R, guarded by sculpted imperial eagles. This was all just like in the hold of a ship. And we should explain why it was important to bring him back to France. I mean, obviously, there were those who still very much held a candle for Napoleon, but that was a reason to not bring him back for the people that had ruled ever Mm. since, because they didn't want to stir up a revolution. So that was one of the reasons that there'd been a delay. Another was his own dying request. Uh, So as was inscribed on a stone at this funeral, uh, his dying request was, I wish my ashes to repose on the banks of the Seine. Now, 
I don't know about you, sometimes you think, oh, people's dying wishes, they're a bit complicated, I'm not sure what they meant, that's hard to interpret. But I would have thought, I mean, I'm glad I wasn't in charge, because I would have thought that's literally quite clear, isn't it? Burn me, and then scatter me in the Seine. But that's not what he meant, apparently. <laughs> Ashes was understood to mean remains, so it was okay for him to be buried. And the Seine was understood to mean anywhere in France so Paris was fine yeah yeah I think what he was getting at was that he wanted to be close to the French people and specifically not in some godforsaken ass end of the world which is where he'd been buried for the first bit um, but why didn't he just say bury me wait 19 years dig me up at the request of an author take my body across three different boats parade me around Paris and then inter me not by the banks of the Seine then everyone would be on the same page. Yeah. I love the actual first discussion that took place in the French parliament where the French interior minister Charles de Remusat uh, mounted the rostrum and said, Gentlemen, the king has commanded his royal highness, the Prince de Joinville, at which point apparently there was a hubbub of attention and curiosity, to take a frigate to the island of St. Helena, new hubbub, to receive the mortal remains of the Emperor Napoleon, explosion of applause on all sides of the assembly. <laughs> so it was very, very popular. And really, partly what was going on here was an attempt by the reigning king, Louis-Philippe, who wanted to boost his own popularity by associating himself with Napoleon's uh, memory. And meanwhile, the British didn't want to stand too much in the way of all of this because they were trying to make a bit of a gesture of goodwill to gain French support over a, a kind of brewing crisis in the Middle East. So it, even though there were lots of people who didn't want this to take place, there were enough people who, who did, and specifically this kind of brewing Napoleonic fervour within France was the thing that kind of underpinned it. Yeah, because Louis-Philippe was actually from a pretty minor branch of the French nobility, and he had actually been all on board with the French Revolution. So he wasn't opposed to the revolutionary ideals that Napoleon, at least in his early years, represented. But obviously, by the time he was himself actually the king, he wasn't thrilled about it. Ten years, <laughs> ten years earlier, there'd been a petition to return Napoleon's remains, and the government declined to debate it because they just thought it would stir up too much revolutionary mm. fervour. And then so what happened is when Louis-Philippe was on the throne, the new prime minister, a guy called Adolf he persuaded Louis-Philippe to see it as he did at this grand theatrical gesture which would symbolically unite the Napoleonic era with the revived monarchy as basically like saying enough time has passed the monarchy is so safe that we can afford to pay tribute to Napoleon and, and say how great he was and the interior minister actually touched on this in his speech to parliament he called Napoleon our king and our legitimate sovereign so really emphasising him as kind of like this continuity like you know like what French revolution then we had Emperor Napoleon and now we've got a king and everything's you know it's all going in the same direction cool. yeah, yeah it's all cool um but one person who wasn't very excited about the whole thing actually was the prince du joinville francois the king's son who was a naval officer who was dispatched to lead the frigate again as this symbolic you know the royalty coming to bring napoleon home but he said that the role was more that of an undertaker or a carter he wasn't thrilled about this at all it actually took 93 <laughs> days to get there i mean it was a long way away but mm. they did stop off at a lot of places and have a lot of balls yeah, they had a, a total pleasure cruise that took them through Cadiz and then Madeira and then went to Tenerife for a little bit, presumably to, <laughs> I don't know, experience the yeah, sort of yeah, boozy, alcohol-fuelled um, uh, Brits Abroad type trip. Gosson on tour. I mean, I've got to say, actually, that reading the list of all the places they stopped off made me realise I had no idea where St. Helena is. <laughs> well, that's true. Right. I was like, wait, then yeah. they stopped at Brazil? When the procession did uh, begin on this day, though, it really was quite some event. 
the funeral carriage that passed through the various different districts of Paris is insane. Mm. You can see pictures, well, not photos, obviously, but portraits of it. It is like Jafar's float in the Main Street (laughs) Parade. It's monogrammed with N uh, on the side uh, for Napoleon and a big sort of flouncy red curtain. And then there's 14 female statues semi-draped in cloth at the top who appear to be holding up Napoleon's casket. They're not, obviously, because he's in the bottom, really. It's 25 feet long and 6 feet high with four gilt wheels drawn by 16 horses and surrounded by a parade of 500 sailors. Prince Napoleon, fabulous he, Napoleon above. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's the vibe. I'll tell you who else was at the funeral, uh, and that was our man from the Sunday Times. Uh, I had a look at the report of the ceremony in Britain's press, just to get a bit of colour, a bit of (laughs) flavour, see how it was reported over here. Uh, And there are some great details, many of which I think reveal the journalist's own view of the French as much as his reportage (laughs) of the actual event. Uh, So here's a taster. The alleys and road became crowded and then commenced the industry de circonstance for which the Parisian hawkers and peddlers are famous. (laughs) Independently of barrows laden with gâteaux de Nanterre and other cakes of indescribable qualities, all of them, however, saturated with lard, (laughs) there were portable kitchens in full swing. There then follows a very long description of different types of sausage and potatoes. (laughs) I'm getting the impression that he didn't manage to get to the front of the crowds. (laughs) Well, it's mostly about the merch. So he then says, um, Then came the intellectual large sheets, some coloured, some plain, with all manner of representations of the emperor, ascending to or seated in heaven, surrounded by his old guard or emerging from his tomb at St. Helena, which were thrust before every passenger and eagerly purchased. Lastly, a man drove a roaring trade with little knots of black crepe for passing around the arm. I mean, in other words, he's basically saying, oh, what a circus. Mm. Yeah, look at all these funny French people making a fuss about this guy who died 19 years ago. Everyone's on the take. <laughs> Everyone's trying to sell their large, <laughs> encrusted cakes. <laughs> I love that he was basically saying those cakes were delicious, but they were a bit too fatty for you. Best to stay away. <laughs> this is why I don't write when I'm hungry. <laughs> Tomorrow. They said, uh, when we go into business with people, we provide protection. We'll give you some gazers on the door. Uncanny. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.